talk about our kids' health. It is absolutely mm -hmm. front and center on so many of the moms that I know, and we're talking about so many different things, the main thing being COVID. But when, I wanna first tell people a little bit about you. You are a pediatrician, but not just a pediatrician, you're a concierge pediatrician, and then you've also added on to your business this incredible med spa for mothers, <laughs> because in order for us to take care of our kids, we gotta take care of ourselves, ladies. It's not that simple. And this incredible online uh, educational feature mm -hmm. with these incredible answers to questions so many moms ask. So we're gonna cover all that today, but I wanna start by talking about your family because that's how we know each other. Right. <laughs> Our daughters are freshmen at Episcopal together and we are on this journey of raising Ooh. teenagers. <laughs> and then of course you have your amazing son who is starting in a new school also. So let's talk about back to school health. Mm. Tell us where most of the parents you're talking to right now are in their minds with back to school health. Wow, thanks for having me. And that's a loaded question, but I can tell you, obviously COVID and yes. obviously masks, I think are the two big, you know, the big things going on right now with back to school and health. And so my son is in middle school, so he's starting sixth grade, but he goes to a small private school, which did mandate masks, and mm -hmm. I think, I was actually very glad that they did because most of the kids are younger, obviously, because it is elementary and middle school together. And so those kids are not yet able to get the vaccine. And so I was very glad that they mandated. I personally think that it's either an all or none thing um, because when you give options to a kid, they're not gonna wear it. So I think that the, the schools are covering, you know, their back by saying, Oh, we recommend it, but honestly, nobody does it. So in high school, it's recommended. In our high school, Episcopal is not mandated. I was a little nervous at the beginning, but I do feel a little bit better because I do think a lot of the high schoolers are vaccinated. And so, granted, I also have to, I always put things into perspective and people that know me know that I am definitely not a this, this way or that way. There's always, you know, something sort of in the middle and you always have to think of risks versus benefits with anything that we do, right? So you know that there's a lot of doctors that are like, absolutely, everybody has to get vaccinated, everybody has to wear masks, everyone. And I feel it, it creates a lot of anxiety to a lot of the parents. And unfortunately, you then move that anxiety to your child. And so I actually had a huge, I mean, actually every day I'm having conversations about this, but yesterday specifically with two moms, um, over the phone for a long time. As she said, I am a concierge pediatrician, so I'm available to my patients, you know, pretty much 24 seven by text or email or my phone. So a couple of moms called um, very worried, wanting to take their child out of school, have a first grader who goes to public school, who, you know, the masks are not mandated, her son wears it. Who knows really honestly <laughs> how much he wears it, you know, if, if they're not really mandating it. And, and I can't blame him, you know. I gotta tell you that I went to a parent meeting at Episcopal and I still, it's my personal choice, if I'm inside a large crowd, even though I'm vaccinated, I do wear a mask mm -hmm. because of this Delta wave. And I felt the peer pressure of there were 200 parents there and maybe only 20 of us had masks. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm, I look silly. Maybe I need to take it off. Like, so if I felt the peer pressure, imagine how our kids feel, 
right? So you can't expect them to make this decision and be able to really say, this is for my health and I'm going, ah, that's BS, you, you, can, you really can't. So I feel like at, for kids in general, it's either an all thing, because when you told my sixth grader that everybody was wearing it, he was totally cool with it and he was fine and he wore it. He doesn't love wearing it, but he was okay because everyone else was wearing it. But when I told him that he was optional, he's like, well, I'm not gonna wear it. So it's expected. So this, this first grade mom was very scared. Child is going to a public school, large public school. Um, you know, needless to say, she's lost a child before. Um, so obviously she is a little bit higher anxiety because of that. Um, and she wanted to pull him out for online learning. And so I personally feel like every child should be at school, but again, risk versus benefits. If okay. you are going to a large public school, if you are a nervous wreck and you are actually okay. transferring that to your child, at the end I did tell her, you know what, I think right now, maybe until this Delta and hopefully, it should only be a couple more months and once the numbers, COVID's not going away, okay? It's not going away in a month. Whoever thinks that, you know, they're pretty silly. But I do believe that we'll be able to, hopefully, with people that have vaccinated more and just with people that have gotten it more with Delta in general, in the next couple of months, hopefully we should be down where we were in the summer. And at that point, then maybe he can go back to school at that. I also did tell him, like I said, mm -hmm. risk versus benefits. Honestly, the risk of your child getting severely ill from COVID is very, very small, okay? Um, you just like your risk of your child getting the flu, it's also, I mean, not getting the flu, but getting severe illness from the flu, it's also very, very small. And so when people, a lot of people come to my office not wanting a flu shot because they're like, oh, whatever, my kid can get the flu and it's no big deal. But because it's been in the news like crazy, then everyone's so worried about COVID. But honestly, I feel like the risk is the same or maybe even lower with COVID than it is with the flu. So risk versus benefit, is it zero? No, it's not zero. And of course, if it's your child, it's 100%, right? And so you have to look at risk versus benefits and what you are okay with. I still feel it is mom's decision whether you wanna vaccinate your child or not. And my second call of the day was a mom who actually was trying to switch pediatricians. She, quick story, her son's an actor. Apparently, you know, that's what he does for a living. He's uh, just turned 12 and they were mandating the vaccine or they were not gonna give him any more jobs. And so they said, you either get the vaccine or mm -hmm. you can't come to auditions, you can't come do anything, you can't work. And mom didn't feel comfortable. And she said, I'm not anti-vaccine, but he just turned 12 and I feel like I wanna wait. And, and I honestly think that's a reasonable decision. Am I against the vaccine? I'm not, but I have to take in consideration that this mom feels nervous. She goes, I got it, my husband got it, my older daughter's got it, but my son just turned 12. And I don't want people to pressure me and say that he's he's miserable and he's crying because he can't get in acting jobs because they're mandating that he gets to shop. Yes. So there's a lot going on. But point being, I think you need to look at your family, look at who are your kids around? Are there any grandparents around? Are your kids immunosuppressed? I mean, there's just a lot that goes into it. It's not just black and white. So hopefully you have someone to talk to that can help you make those decisions. And I want to talk about COVID throughout the entire podcast, but I want to go even more broad than that and talk about what you said, because I received similar 
a recommendation when I was breastfeeding, and it would it did not suit me. It was really difficult for me. Bella had um, extreme um, reflux in my breast milk. I had to quit eating dairy, and then I was stressed. And someone said, "If you're stressed, mm-hmm. you're stressing out your child." And even though they say it's good to breastfeed for a year, for you and your child, it's probably best that you stop because it's not going well. So I think there's a lot of that application that we try to go to these, uh, to the internet, we try to read what the answer is. And I I really hear you. And as a mom, I felt that that allowed me to give myself grace sometimes when it didn't feel right for my family. Right, it is very important. Um, You know, we all know that we are all individuals and we're all different and just like we are all different, all babies are different, all kids are different. So maybe what worked even within your own family, what worked with your first child might not work for your second child. And so nowadays, you know, you can read all the books you want. You know, nowadays people don't want to read books, but they just search in the internet. So Dr. Google will tell you something, Uh but that's not the same for every child. And so um, that's why I'm very glad that I have the practice that I have. So I really do have an hour for every checkup to really discuss the differences of what's going on and then I feel like I'm a little bit open-ended I know obviously the science and the medicine behind it but like you said sometimes you know breastfeeding for some people and I am a thousand percent pro Mm -hmm. breastfeeding but if it becomes more work and more stressful for you then yes, I mean, your child might be getting worse reflux because they're stressed. Your child might be, you know, not eating as much because of what's going on and then they can't. So you have to look at the whole picture and the whole child and not just say, breastfeeding is good. You have to breastfeed, make it work. And I feel like some people are still saying that. (laughs) Yes, they're so committed to the rule that they don't actually consider everything around them. So another thing for us was sleep. It's, I mean, our family, doesn't sleep in general and but we need sleep and Mm -hmm. I've even I had Dr. Rice with the Sydenham Clinic on to talk about how me sleeping more has changed my mood me getting Mm -hmm. on the right um, hormones has helped me sleep but I know we were talking about our kids now that they're in high school they have these extracurricular your daughter has 8 p.m. soccer they're not sleeping I mean let's talk about kids and sleep even from the time Bella was a baby it was difficult they'd say let her cry it out girl she could cry for two hours she never stopped because she had reflux and if I laid her flat she Mm -hmm. hurt so let's talk about sleep and kids yeah everybody needs sleep and I think that's very you know um especially with adults. I mean, we feel maybe it's just society, you know, and and the more that you read and I've gotten into since I became a business owner as well, I never thought, Mm -hmm. I mean, medical school doesn't ever teach you anything about business. I've been reading a lot of books, you know, about that and and every book that you read, you know, it's, do you get up, you know, way earlier in the morning and if you get up at five, then you can get more work done. And so I think there's some truth to that of, you know, having a morning routine and that's a different topic. But at the same time, if you do that, then you have to think, well, maybe I need to go to bed earlier <laughs> as well. And so does that work in your routine? Because absolutely, some people might only need six hours of sleep mm-hmm. as far as adults. Ideally, we say eight and you always hear about eight. Um, uh, kids, you know, in elementary school, ideally, you know, 10 to 12 hours of sleep is what they should be getting. 
And so unfortunately, we get this extracurricular. And yes, I have two soccer players, competitive soccer players. And this year, I'm just trying to figure out our schedule yeah. because both of them have practiced from 8 to 9.30, which means 9.30, but then by the time they finish oh and talk, gosh. it's 9.45. By the time we're getting home, down. it's 10. Right. So it's hard, and for my sixth grader specifically, it's a lot harder. Um, I said, you know, ideally, his bedtime last year was 9.30. <laughs> well, he's not even home till 10. Not every day, a couple of day, days a week. The other couple of days, it's earlier. But for my high schooler, it's every day until 10.30. And so we need to make sure that we look at our schedule, that we talk. I think nowadays, mm -hmm. our high schoolers, you know, want to be on the phone, want to be talking to their friends, want to be on social media, and so, you know, you're not a bad parent, and my daughter probably thinks that I'm the worst parent in the world, but I do have screen time for her. I do have a certain amount of hours that she's allowed to be on mm -hmm. social media because otherwise she would be on, you know, all day, every day. And then she won't get her homework done, which is why they're going to school in the first place, right? We were talking about this. It's great kind that so it's not great. socializing. Right. <laughs> right. It's great that they're socializing. It's great that they're, you know, doing extracurricular activities. Yes. But, you know, you've got to learn something, too, you know, while you're at it, right? So, you know, our rule is, you know, try to let's look at our schedule. If you really have soccer so late, maybe we should finish all our homework before, which means you might not have that much time to socialize and play around once you get home, you know, from school. But um, that's what I did. But, again, it was a lot easier when we were younger because there was only a phone, right? Like, it wasn't as cool or whatever, but... Now, so there's so difficult. many more distractions, it's really difficult, and we have to realize that. So it, is, it really is a lot harder to be a teenager right now than it was in the 90s. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about family and relationships. You were born in the United States, but when you were one, you moved to Argentina. Venezuela. Venezuela. I'm so sorry. It's Venezuela. <laughs> um, both beautiful places. I've never been, so I shouldn't interchange them, but I, they're both on my bucket list. So you're fluent in Spanish and in English, mm -hmm. which I think is such a great value in this day and age, especially in Texas. But you were super close to your family. You're raising your kids as a very close-knit family. Um, I find that, I mean, I, my heritage is Italian, um, we want the family together, but we also, as moms, still have to understand our role isn't to necessarily be liked by our kids and to do everything they want. So talk a little bit about your culture and family and how it is different now with the kids, where I feel like my parents were so much more strict on me, but yes. Bella thinks I'm the strictest mom out there. And how things have changed. Yeah, things have changed a lot, like I said. And I, and I really do think, and it's funny that I said that, and my daughter has said it a couple of times, like, you had it so much easier. And of course, at the moment, you're like, no, I didn't, uh, but, but we really uh, did. I mean, I, I was just as busy. So I was a dancer before I was a yes. doctor. And I danced six days a week, and I had, and I danced until, and I lived in Kingwood when I moved here to the U.S., uh -huh. you know, after, again, like you said, I was born here, I moved to Venezuela, and I moved back here in sixth grade, and um, so I lived in the suburbs of Houston, and I actually danced in Houston, um, so I would have to drive, wow. you know, 40, 45 mm -hmm. minutes to come, and mm -hmm. sometimes we'd have rehearsals and stuff, and I wouldn't be home till about 11. Wow. But my mom had said, you know, you do all your homework before you go to dance. Mm -hmm. And 
but there was nothing else to do. You know what I mean? You came home, yeah, you could watch TV, but even watching TV was like, what's on? You know what I mean? Like we had a certain amount of channels. And Think about I it. had my TV monitor because I would have watched TV all day. My yeah. parents said one hour a day, that's right. it. Right, and and really, it was just whatever was on. I mean, unless, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe you if you had go. HBO or whatever, right. but, but that was it. Nowadays, unfortunately, our kids don't even have to move. They just literally turn it on, which is what's really scary, and whatever YouTube thing they're watching or whatever series they're watching, it immediately switches to the next one. And that's really scary. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's really scary, and I really put it out there, and my daughter is probably mortified if she ever said, sees this, <laughs> But I, she knows that that's my soapbox because mm -hmm. we are creating a society of addicts. We are. And so we are. You get yes. being on your Because phone. you don't even, the phone, the YouTube, even the, the, the TV to me is better. And I do because I feel when you watch a show, there is a plot, there is something, it's slower. So you at least are involved in a 30 minute show, in an hour show, or in a movie. When you're watching a YouTube video, and every year, or, or God forbid, TikTok, that's the worst, because, because they're so short. And if you think about it, now that I have started to learn social media, because it's unfortunately an evil that we business owners have to use, you know, to get our point across. Everyone that you listen to, if you noticed, you know, I remember a year ago, they kept saying, you have to do minute videos, and they all have to be one minute, no more than a minute, because I said, okay. And then it's 30 seconds, and then now it's 15 seconds, and now they're saying that it's nine seconds. And I'm going, what can you do in nine seconds? <laughs> that, like, you're actually getting some value. Because that's the attention spam of these people. And so when you see these kids that are just doing this, their brain is so overstimulated constantly. And again, when I say with YouTube, they don't, they don't even have to move because it just immediately goes to the next one, the next, there's never an end. It goes to the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. And so, unfortunately, it is a lot harder for us because I feel like it's a daily battle that you're right, we're not, we're not their best friends. I wish I could throw away the phone and throw away social media, but we can't do that either, right? Because that's just, and just the way it is. And it just you're not gonna be on it. You can't. It's, it's just not even possible. Right. But I do think this wait till 8th um, idea of social media was great, and I did not do it. But having looked back, I love that some schools are getting together to do that. And with my biggest platform being fighting sex trafficking, I think the pornography that they see, not even intending to see it, Absolutely. that it just when the YouTube is rolling over, they're numb to this sense mm -hmm. of what is ethically and morally okay. And then I've even heard about young boys having, um, getting these medications, so, because they can't get an erection without seeing porn. Like there's also this new, I mean, it's just the whole thing. We could talk about that forever, but let's kind of go next to mental health. Mm -hmm. because it's something you and I have talked about. Um, I've shared openly and Bella shares openly that she's struggled with high anxiety and there's different things that trigger her. And certainly there, the phone, you can, it used to be we went to school, we could be bullied there or bullied mm -hmm. by our neighbor and then we went home in our room and we were <laughs> safe. Now it could happen at 24/7. any point and that's also a big health factor with the youth and of our community because of COVID even more, but because of social media. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so again, 
I, like I said, social media, phones, I, I, it's my soapbox. I could talk for hours. Um, I've been to several seminars um, uh -huh. from lots of psychologists, expert in the area. And with girls, it's definitely social media and the phone because of what you just said. Because of, you know, not only can you be bullied 24-7, but people, you know, are also, even if it's not bullied, people are talking about you, you're worried, what do they say, how many people liked it. I just posted something, oh my God, like, she didn't say she liked it, so it must mean she doesn't she don't like me anymore, she's not my friend anymore. And so that creates so much anxiety, and there are actually studies, and it's really sad that the amount of suicide in girls mm -hmm. and the amount of anxiety and depression in girls have exponentially grown ever since iPhone and, and social media came up. I mean, it directly correlates. Mm -hmm. And then with boys is games and gaming. And yes. so with and boys- that's also the way they're trafficked is they meet correct. people through that, through that. That's not really, I have chills, a 12 year old boy. Correct. And so boys, believe Ugh. it or not, are really not into it. And you look at it, I mean, they're not really, and, and, and it's a story that someone puts. So a girl goes to a football game and they're both, you know, a girl and a boy, and they both have, you know, Instagram. And you see that the boy might take a picture of the game and say, hey, you know, I'm here. <laughs> might. Might. They might not even care, not even turn the phone. They won't even get and on their the story. And the girl, the entire time they're in the football game, they're not even watching the football game, first of all. They're like, let's get a picture here. Let's get a picture there. Do I look good? And the amount of pictures they take before they decide whether they can even post one, it's absurd. I mean, it's like, it can be sometimes close to, you know, 50 pictures. And then, and I see it with my own daughter, and then they might send it oh, to yes. a friend Is to this say, good? should I post this? Is yeah, this good? Seeking, yes. So how do you stop that? I mean, it's, 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 an, it's daunting, okay? And, and I'm learning, because again, you know, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm a mom of a freshman, a first teenager daughter. So I'm learning as it goes, reading a lot, going through a lot of seminars, and unfortunately it's the world we live in. So unless we were to move to a cave somewhere, you know, where there's like no phones, we also can't completely take the phone because then you're dealing with the fact of I'm the only one, right? But I do think that we have to sit down with our kids and we have to have rules. And you know, my daughter hates it, but she does have screen time. It turns off at a certain time. She's only allowed to use, you know, social media a certain time. Um, and and she knows that those are the rules. Every day she tries to break them, every day she asks for more, I'm not gonna lie to you, but um, it is what it is. And in the long run, eventually they will, they will thank us, someday. I, only because <laughs> Bella doesn't ever watch my podcast can I say this, but sometimes I think she blames me when she really appreciates that I'm preventing her from doing something or letting her go to the party where bad things are gonna happen. It's easier to just blame mom mm -hmm. than but, it is to say, I don't think that's a good choice for me. But and actually, sorry to interrupt you, one of the seminars that I went to not too long ago, and I wish I could remember the guy, but I'll, I'll tell it to you yes. because I, I love the book that I read and oh, then good. he came to Houston and I saw him. He actually says, give your kids an excuse to blame you because then it's not on them. Yeah. And so it can be, oh, I'm sorry, my mom's crazy. I don't care, I can be crazy all you want. My mom's Girl, crazy and she doesn't crazy. like me. Yes. I'm good. <laughs> but that way it gives them an out. Like if I am they're crazy if they, in love with her to right. keep her safe and healthy. Absolutely. But that way it's on us and it's yeah. not on them. And so you're giving them yeah. sort of an out if they feel like this is not the right or whatever. 
in their mind, it's peer pressure. They want to do everything their friends are doing. Yeah. But if you say, well, my mom doesn't let me do that, or my mom turned my phone, you know, it, then it's on us. Mm -hmm. And so that way, you know, he says, you know, he has saved a lot of kids from making wrong decisions. And I mm -hmm. tell my daughter all the time, blame me, I don't care. Just like I tell my patients all the time, like, you know, with newborns, even before COVID, we don't want people all over the baby and stuff. And I tell my parents, blame the pediatrician. Tell, you know, it's not she you. She won't let me. You're she not being rude. Right. You're not being rude. Is oh, my pediatrician told me that, you know, you can't be, you know, breathing on my baby or whatever. But that way, as a mom, you don't feel like it's on you. You're given permission. Blame me all you want. We're good. So let's talk a little bit more about vaccines. I'm a huge um, advocate uh, for uh, people understanding autism. There's a, a group of people who believe that that vaccines cause that. There's not been proof that I know of that says that. There's other things. People say that autism has come out more in kids now, but is it that we've broadened the spectrum? Let's talk a little bit about that rumor with autism and vaccines. Yeah, so um, it's a big rumor. And so essentially it started because back in the 80s, I mean, it's been a long time, mm -hmm. um, there was a physician, actually a gastroenterologist in England, mm -hmm. who was doing some work on mm -hmm. GI stuff. Mm -hmm. And it very, very small study. And somehow in this study, he came up with a conclusion that, you know, the vaccines caused these kids to get autism. Mm -hmm. um, ever since then, his license has been taken away. They have spent billions of dollars trying to duplicate these experiments to really show where it was. At the beginning, back then, there was a thing called thimerosal, which is actually mm -hmm. a preservative that was on pretty much every vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, they really thought that they linked it to that, mm -hmm. and so they took thimerosal out of all of the kids' vaccines. Mm -hmm. So currently in the United States, the only vaccine that has thimerosal is the adult flu shot. There's oh. no thimerosal in any childhood vaccine anymore to sort of like, if mm -hmm. maybe it was a preservative, that maybe we're taking it out, and, and that didn't happen. And like you said, there's been, I mean, I would say billions of dollars, um, you know, done research to try to prove or maybe that there is some sort of a link between it is the MMR vaccine and mm -hmm. autism and nothing has ever happened. So theories that as physicians have is one, um, we are diagnosing it more. Mm -hmm. We actually brought in the spectrum. If, mm -hmm. I th if you can think of, I mean, I can think of plenty of kids back when I went to school Absolutely. that were the quirky kids or the weird kid or that's the antisocial kid, but nobody ever had a diagnosis for them. So nowadays, because we know that if we do early intervention, like by age of three, some of these kids go along to be going in normal classrooms, do great, have great social interaction, I've seen it, and are just normal like any other child without a diagnosis. And so we really try to diagnose it early to see if we can get them into therapy by the age of three. Mm -hmm. And so we're diagnosing more because we're trying to catch it more early because us pediatricians are more aware than the older pediatricians. Um, we're having questionnaires, we're asking mm -hmm. all the questions mm -hmm. starting you know, at a year. Um, so when you first start noticing kids not talking or not interacting, it's usually after a year. I mean, you, there's right. no way when they're a baby that you can tell what's mm -hmm. going on. And what happens at a year is when we give the MMR shot. And so it also has a lot of cause and correlation of ah. the timing of when this vaccine happens. So a long time ago, someone said something might happen. 
obviously fear. People are saying, oh my God. So, but there's been lots of studies and nothing, absolutely nothing has proven that this vaccine causes autism. If you want my personal opinion, mm -hmm. I do think genetics has a lot to do with it. And I mean, I don't know a lot of, I don't know if a lot of physicians might agree with me or not, but I do think so. And I think that we know more and more about genetics nowadays. Yes, And absolutely. so why is it, I always compare to diabetes, like why is it that, you know, we know that something triggers mm -hmm. a kid to be diabetic type one. Mm -hmm. Why is it that I sometimes diagnose this kid as early as 18 months, which is really rare, um, or as late as 10 years old? You know, why is it? And I think, I mean, obviously they're born with this predisposition mm -hmm. of having diabetes, and we always say it's probably a virus, it's some stressful something, mm -hmm. something that triggered mm -hmm. it to show up at whatever age, whether it's 18 months, two years. And so I feel like kiddos that, you know, have autism are probably born and will find out someday because there's so much that we know with genes, maybe with this trigger, this gene, mm -hmm. Um, we have proven that it's very much genetic, looking at twins and looking at things. So um, maybe it is a virus or maybe it is, you know, something that maybe triggered it where it was going to get triggered regardless, you know, because it's in their genes. So a lot of my parents, granted I have a very small practice, are doing genetic testing on kid, kids to just sort of know. There's also something called MD. TFR gene, which is a gene specifically of kids mm -hmm. that react more to like inflammation or things like that. So I am very, I believe, I really do believe that there are some kids that react a little stronger. So I have some patients in my practice who have done this genetic testing, who we know that they have this gene who say, you know what, I'm not anti-vaccine, but can we slow it down? Yeah. Because, because, you know, we know that these kids or some studies have shown that some of these kids that have this gene sometimes react stronger to inflammation. I mean, why is it that some kids get one full fever with every vaccine and some kids, psh, it's like nothing. Everybody reacts differently, right? And so maybe it is something in the genes and genetic. And so I'm still very much towards the CDC schedule. My, my kids got it mm -hmm. all together. But if I get a mom that comes and they say, A, I'm super scared and I'm anxious, I want to do vaccines, but is there any way that we can, you know, kind of split them apart or whatever? Mm -hmm. I personally do because I rather have them lower their anxiety level, do something that will make them feel okay as a mom, and still get the child vaccinated. So mm -hmm. I will not say absolutely not, you have to leave my office. Now, if you come to me and say, I don't want to vaccinate my child till he's 10, then we have something else to talk about. And I say, no, I don't agree with that. But I do think that, you know, something is genetic and maybe some kids react a different way than others. We're all different, right? We're all like, I, we started this conversation saying we're all different human beings. We all react differently. So we have to look at every person as a whole human and not just by what the book says. Yes. So we've <laughs> done some genetic testing with Bella. I did it with the Sydenham Clinic for me and it's, it's given me a lot of assurance and understanding of my journey. Um, and with her, we found out that there were some chemical things or that she was more predisposed to, maybe um, lower melatonin or lower dopamine and mm -hmm. things like that that do make you more anxious. So there's supplements that you can take. Let's talk about other things in kids and medicating kids. ADHDs. There's <laughs> so many people that are adamantly against medicating. Some people are huge proponents. 
when is it right and, and when is it okay to medicate kids? I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> I really don't. Um, because there uh, isn't an answer. There is not an answer. Like I yes. said, you have to look at your own child and right. you have to see where they're at. Mm -hmm. I, I don't and I really run when I hear that there's like a first grader, you know, that they're medicating them. Um, I think that nowadays, just like we are diagnosing and we are more aware of autism, mm -hmm. I feel like teachers, and I don't know, I'm not a teacher and I'm not mm -hmm. trying to be a teacher, but I feel like it's more ingrained into their maybe, you know, if a kid's doing this, this, and this, and oh my gosh, maybe they have ADHD. And so sometimes it's just a kid being a kid, honestly. It really is. And so I feel like our school system, especially the public school system, it's so overwhelmed mm -hmm. and there's so many kids maybe that they just don't have the patience or the time to deal mm -hmm. with a child that might be a little bit more of a difficult kindergartner or first mm -hmm. grader or mm -hmm. second grader. And so at that age, I think you really have to look and see if the child is not hurt, being so impulsive to the point of hurting themselves or hurting others, I personally am very anti starting a medicine at that young of an age. Okay. I think that there's a lot of other things that you can do. Mm -hmm. You can do behavioral therapy. You can, you know, see what's going on in the classroom. Is there different changes that you can do of where the child could sit? Um, you know, can you talk to the teacher and say, you know, how do they react? Some of these kids too that are very impulsive or have attention issues, you can't say, okay, so Johnny, so I want you to go ahead and open your computer, go to page one, then after that, highlight the second like, one. And you tell like, Rob that, he right, couldn't do that. Right, I probably couldn't either. I have a bit of ADD myself and people do know. So, but I've learned to cope with it because he was right. very low. So I know that if I don't do things right away, I forget it doesn't get done. If I don't write it down and I don't write lists, it doesn't get done. So, um, so teachers have to realize, and I think there's some amazing teachers that I have worked with in the past that know, and they know that for this child, maybe giving you know a test that's 10 pages, like uh, I, they just shut down because they're so overwhelmed, they get distracted, or I've had kids who start, they have a 10 page test, and they start the test and they won't finish it. I had a kid actually, one of my patients, um, first grader, brilliant kid. And when he was in pre-K and kindergarten, he was, you know, acting out. I think because he was bored. Because yes. he was so smart that he was just over what they were doing. And so we figured it out. I told mom that they eventually when he started actual school, they wanted him to be in GT, gifted and talented. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't because he would never finish the test. Because they would give him the test and he would start the first and he would be like get bored or get distracted and he would just not finish it. And so mom was so frustrated and they wouldn't. So at that point I say, that's why it's important. And they were very reluctant as to get him tested for anything because people don't want a label. Yes. But having that. a label can help you so, so much. much. So it's not gonna hurt them. And you know what? Now this kid has a label as having attention issues and they gave him the test one page at a time and he finished the test and now he's in GT. And that's all it took. There's no wow. medicine, no nothing that we can do before we run to get a medicine. Now, usually after third grade, which is when it starts getting harder, mm -hmm. if it's really a lot harder academically, um, if your child you know, is having a hard time and we're doing, especially with girls, with mm -hmm. boys, we tend to diagnose sooner because girls, boys tend to have a little bit more of the impulsivity. A lot of the girls only have an attention issue. So they might get like just overlooked as you're just a bad student. 
what do you mean? You need to study more. You need to study harder. And they're like, but I am. But it's just that they can't focus. And so it's important that if your child's having a hard time at school, get him tested first for learning disabilities. Yes. Then maybe for ADHD. You know, talk to your physician first and then see if they can send you somewhere because if they get him diagnosed, we can always, always, always start by, you know, accommodations, changing things of how you do before you jump into medicine. But if that doesn't work, I've seen huge changes when kids get put on medication. A child who is so used to, I always get a bad grade, then eventually I've seen kids when they get into high school not try because they're like, why am I going to try? I'm still going to fail anyway. Mm -hmm. So their self-esteem is just down to zero and they're very smart and you can tell but it's just it's harder it's like you know I explain it to some kids it's like you have your brain and your brain have these connections and you're missing a tiny little bit of connection and if you take this medicine sometimes it literally and you do I tell parents you'll know right away because this medicine doesn't linger into your system it's either on or off so you take the medicine and it usually lasts for you know depending on which one 10 12 hours some of them four hours um, and the kids know and anybody that takes ADHD medicine, honestly, it's going to make you focus because mm -hmm. it like, you know, it, it ultra focus. So if I were to take that medicine right now, which I don't recommend anybody take it that doesn't need it because it's, it's a drug. <laughs> it's I've not ideal. Some kids are taking but, it that aren't ADHD right. so that they can focus more clearly and get better grades. Yeah, but it, it doesn't necessarily work that way, mm -hmm. but you will notice a difference. And so I asked the kids then, not the parents, you know. And the kids a lot of the time say, yes, it's great. I mean, it's, it's great. Like, people walk in, and I'm not distracted anymore. I'm able to finish my homework. And then you get Can a kid. Can we get that for Rob, Danette? <laughs> and then, yeah, you get yeah, a kid. Exactly, I know. Who was failing, Ugh. literally all of a sudden, get A's and B's. And it's not that they were dumb. It's that they really were so distracted. Or my worst, mm -hmm. my, you know, the thing that I hate the most is when I hear kids do their homework, and they don't turn it in because they forget, because they're so distracted, they leave it at home, it happens all the time. They leave it at home, or because of ADHD, they're also part of an organization, part of it comes with it. So they're very disorganized kids in general. And so they might put it in their backpack, but then they're like, I don't know, I can't find it, I lost it. And I'm like, you did all this work, and you don't turn it in. It happens all the time. And so part of all of this, you know, it's, it's a team approach, is talking to your doctor, talking to the teachers, a lot of times if, if like, Right now in ninth grade, I mean, I'm sure you got it. Ariana was asked to have a binder for every class and this and the writers. And some kids that have really bad ADHD can't handle having five, six binders like because it's just too much. So a lot of times they say, okay, you have two. You have a, this comes home, this gets turned in, period. I mean, I don't care what your teacher says. That way you're organized and you know you only have two things to keep up with and not ten, right? But as soon as you finish your homework, you put it in the turn-in folder. And when you go turning things, you know that everything you need to turn in is there, as opposed to I need to, you know. So you have to figure out what works best for your child. But sometimes simplicity, you that's what you have to do for these kids. All right, so let's talk personal a little bit. I sure. grew up <laughs> dancing, and I love tap, ballet, and jazz. But you are really a dancer. That was your <laughs> degree, initial degree at UT. Uh, so dancing to medicine it seems like such an interesting transition I get that told all the time you know when I was dancing what are you gonna do dance around the patients so, 
<laughs> so dance is my passion. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm taking care of kiddos is also my passion. But I do have to tell you that, um, so, you know, my first love was ballet, and that's what I did, you know, since I was three. And, you know, I carried it on to college. Um, originally, yeah, I wanted to go to, honestly, New York or L.A. I had it all planned out. And my mom said, great, you know, you can do that. But, you know, if you stay in Texas, you know, school's on me because, you know, we're, as people that live in Texas realize that, you know, it's, it's, we have it really good here. Education is really good and really cheap compared to a lot of other states. Um, she was like, if you go to New York, then, you know, great, good luck. Go get a, you know, student loan, but I can't pay for it. So at that point, I said, okay, fine, I'll stay in Texas. So I went to UT, and I was a theater and dance major. Um, loved it. That's, you know, what I did. I, my husband jokes that I have two lives because when I get, ar <laughs> when I get around my theater friends, you know, or my, you know, artsy friends, it, it's, it's odd, and it's funny because they look at me, and they're like, you're a doctor. And I'm like... <laughs> But I'm not a doctor. I'm just Catherine, and and I get, and I do get now that I have my own practice, and you know when I talk to people, people go, "You are Doctor Espana," and half the time I say like, "Hi, I'm Catherine." <laughs> yes. I am Catherine before I was a doctor, and because I decided to be a doctor, does it mean that I'm any better than you or you or anyone else? It was just happened to be a career that that I liked, and because I like kids, it all started honestly. I, I love science too. But I knew it was going to be a pediatrician. There's nothing else. And I joke around with everyone. My husband's also a doctor. Um, he's an OB-GYN. And he's a doctor. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because he could have done any subspecialty and been happy. And he loves medicine. Like the art of medicine and everything that comes with it. Me, I love kids. And I love taking care of kids. But if I wasn't a pediatrician, I would not be a doctor. I wouldn't. There's no way that I could take care of adults. God, no. Uh, I, there's no way that I could be a radiologist. I mean, anything else. Like, I just knew that it was either that or it wasn't. Like, I would have opened up a dance studio. I would have done something else that involved kids. Right. Who knows what I would have done. Honestly, I'll be honest, I went to, you know, UT for dance. I tested out a lot of things my freshman year because I went, you know, there was like ballet one, two, three, and I went into senior ballet from the very beginning. I tested out of all the Spanish, so I had a lot of credits, right? But I got scared when I thought, so I was the weird kid who was a theater and dance major, but all of my electives were like organic chemistry, like, you know, all the pre-med stuff <laughs> yeah. that usually is the other way around, right? Like your right. electives are like basket weaving or whatever. So, um, so I had really hard electives, and then I started really, once I was starting to take the MCAT, I said, oh my God, what if I don't get to med school? Like, what am I gonna do with a theater and dance major? Like, like I don't need this if I really wanted to dance. Like, I could just yeah, dance, yeah. you don't, right. you don't I mean, what do you do with right. a theater and dance major? You teach theater and dance somewhere. Like, that's, that's not what I wanted to do. So I said, what if I don't get into med school? Like, I need something else that I could work. You know, by then, I was already thinking of, you know, when I first started college, like, you don't think really that you're going to get a job. You just go, go. and have fun. Right. <laughs> but by then, I'm like, what happens? Like, what am I going to do with my life? So my logical thing was like, well, I'm going to go switch my major to be a kindergarten teacher because I knew that I, I don't think I could ever be a kindergarten teacher now, but that's what I thought back then. So I went to the education building, and I said, I want to switch my major. And they're like, okay, well, you have to do this, this and it was going to, like, increase like a whole year because you know obviously you don't need ballet to be a, you know a teacher so they didn't count any of those credits um so then I said forget it I'm not gonna you know go to school for another year so I dropped that but I thought I, I thought of that for a split second 
of doing education just in case. If I didn't get to med school, then at least I could still work with kids doing something else. But yeah, I knew that I was going to do with kids. You not only made it to med school, but you had very high marks and you've <laughs> won many awards for being exceptional in your field, which is amazing. We've talked so much. We have almost run out of time, but we have to talk about the med spa because as I said in the beginning, um, I think we've we haven't talked also about, but I also want to hear about your online thing. If um, for moms, if they aren't in a position to pay for a concierge doctors, they can still learn from you. And then women who, why as moms should we even worry about taking care of ourselves? What, how, how did that evolve? Yeah, so that evolved because I always, always, like, and I, like I said, through this concierge practice, instead of spending 10, 15 minutes with every parent, I have a whole hour. So I know the mom, the grandma, the dog, I mean, which I think is important, you know, as, I mean, it was, as a pediatrician, you know, you become sort of part of the family. That's how it used to be. And so I love that I get to do that now. And so with that, you see it. You see when the mom, you know, we all put ourselves last all the time. You take care of your husband, your kid, your dog. And if you have time, then maybe you might wash your face and take care of yourself. Um, and it shouldn't be that way, right? I mean, and so I have become, uh, you know, as I'm getting older as well, we also start, you know, wanting to, you know, look a little bit younger and make sure that we're keeping up with everything. Um, and so I've always been very interested in just skincare in general. I'm very not much into plastic surgery, but as like what you can do without having to open something up to take care of the moms. And the moms love it. So, so far, it's very new. We've only been open for about three months. And it's been mostly the moms from my practice because those are the mm -hmm. only ones that know about it. We're working on a web page. We haven't, don't even have a web page, so we can actually tell people about it. But we decided to call it Mommy Med Spa. As of now, it's still in my office, um, but soon, you know, if we feel like, you know, it's too busy, then we'll, you know, move to somewhere else as well. But I love it because I think that it's important, like you said. If you feel good, then you can take care of everyone else. If we are down and we're not feeling good, I mean, it's just proven that, that you have to exercise yourself. You have to take care of your body. You have to eat right. And heck, yeah, we all have to look good, too, um, because that's part of our self-esteem and part of us feeling better. There's a lot of studies that have happened of kids, of sorry, kids, moms, who, you know, postpartum, you're yes. so depressed, you're home, hormones aren't helping, right? And then you're also in your pajamas all day. And then once you get up and take a shower and put clothes on, like your mood changes just to actually, you know, take care of yourself. They've also done a lot of those studies during COVID when people are like working from home and the people were staying in their pajamas all day to work and they weren't getting as much done. And if you get up, take a shower, put clothes on and get out of your bed and you're taking care of yourself, you get, you're much more productive. I've always said that. Danette and I always say that we dress up to make ourselves feel better too. Yeah. And if you wear, another trick is we wear bright colors too and that makes us feel better. Um, well, this has been so fascinating and I have to share with everyone, I get to go on Saturday and experience one of her incredible facials. So I'm going to be posting that online, telling you guys how you can do the same thing uh, because I do take time for self-care and I believe that I have to put the oxygen mask on me first in order to be able to take care of Rob and Bella and Grace Kelly and whoever else <laughs> comes along that needs me. Um, is there anything, we've run out of time, is there any parting words? How can people find you? How could they connect with you? Yeah, and so, even consider joining your practice. So really quick, client. I know we've run out of time and there's a lot that we talked about. 
But for new moms or for anyone that's pregnant, my um, uh, quarantine project was that I created an online video, online course specifically for new moms that just answers okay. all the questions. So you guys can find that. So I am on Instagram at Concierge Pediatrics and also Facebook Concierge Pediatrics. Um, and so you can find me there. I try to be really helpful, try to post, even though, like I said, I really, honestly, it's a love and hate relationship with social media, but try to do that because I think that's something good for, for the moms, and you can find information about the course there, too, as well as we're in near Memorial Park area, so if you have a kiddo and want to see what our practice is like, um, give us a call, and I do do free meet and greets and free prenatal appointments if people just want to come and meet me just to see if this is the right fit for their family. Yes, and we, um, even with older kids, there's sometimes that we experience things with their health. I know Bella and I went through a journey where she was having stomach issues and we went to so many different doctors. And I think it's important to have a strong relationship with your pediatrician to be the basis of all of that mm -hmm. because then you're able to, I've even called you for referrals for other friends of other mm -hmm. people, neurology, different things, because when something, we don't think about our health until something happens. Absolutely. And then it's the most important thing, especially the health of our kids. For sure. Yes. But thank you so much for this was fun. Yeah, it was. I can't believe it flew by so fast. Thanks guys. We will come to you next week. Keep on living the authentic life.